speak on behalf of my wife as well that it's been a refreshing time being here with loved ones. We're thankful for this opportunity and um, thank you for your love to us and your continued support, encouragement, and prayers. It really does mean a lot and uh, been encouraged by having people come up to us over the past few days and list things that they've been praying for. I remember having asked that those things be prayed for. And so that's encouraging to know that we're remembered and that you are engaged in the work that God has called us to do. And we have this partnership together. So would you be opening your words to seven as we begin today? Through many means and ways, God had led Janet and her family to make a contribution, a financial contribution to the work of Bible translation. Specifically, he had led them to a cluster project, a group of four languages that were working together to translate the Bible together uh, in their own languages in the country of Tanzania. God also gave Janet the opportunity to go and see the work. The sights and sounds of the dedication day of one of those Bibles was something Janet would never forget. This is what she writes. We took a van to the ceremony, and from our van window, we saw people walking long distances along the road. They were all dressed up for the celebration of their Bible dedication. Notice that, their Bible dedication. We heard pastors speak and pray. We heard choirs sing three or four times. They were all worshiping through dancing. There were several hundred people standing the whole time in the hot sun, many holding babies in their arms, but they had come there for a purpose. They had all walked that long, dusty distance for a purpose. They had all waited such a long time for one purpose. They wanted the Bible in their language. You could see them kiss the Bibles as they would receive them, hold them to their chests like precious gifts, and Janet writes this, it caused me to treasure my own scriptures more. It changed my heart as I knew it was about to change theirs. And the meaningful celebration wasn't all. Janet actually had the opportunity to see the process of translation going on in the other languages that were still working on their Bibles that hadn't dedicated it yet. She got to see a group of translators Mother tongue speakers of their own language drafting for the first time God's word in their language as they would take it from one to another. She got to see them take it into various villages and do comprehension checks with the people, making sure they understand it, allowing them to ask questions and give feedback on what would become their Bible. She got to even see things like a consultant check, scripture engagement in the community, or especially she remembers seeing the Jesus film one night. If you don't know, the Jesus film is basically the gospel of Luke put to the visual images so that the script of the movie is the text of the gospel of Luke. But everything culminated in that celebration ceremony as they began passing out the Bibles. Well, would you turn to Psalm 67 in your copy of the Bible? Let me read this text for us. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm 
a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. What we're going to see today is that Psalm 67 asks God to bless his people so that other nations would rejoice in the reign of God. This psalm is asking God to bless his people so that other nations would also rejoice in the reign of Yahweh. But today, I want to ask us three questions from this psalm. First question is, do you pray this way? Do you pray this way? Look at verses one and two. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that his way may be known on earth. Do you pray this way? Or to say it another way, what motivates the things that you pray? What motivates the things that you do? When you sit down and plan out your week, what's underneath there? When you're driving the kids to sports practice, when you hit the gym, or you're hanging out with friends, when you're scrolling through social media, watching TV, cooking dinner, or running to Chick-fil-A because dinner didn't turn out very well tonight. What motivates you? What drives you? If I'm honest, I could label some of my motivations this way. Sometimes I get into survival mode. I'm sure you can all relate to that. It's just the next thing after the next thing after the next thing, there is no thought going on whatsoever. I just kind of get the next thing done. Other days, it might be good impression mode. Really, what I'm concerned about is what other people think about me when I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Some days it's get ahead mode. I'm really more concerned about where this task or this objective is gonna get me in the future. What kind of promotion I might be able to get, how this might help my kids advance in the future. I'm, I'm just focused on getting ahead and making progress. Sometimes there's aimless mode. Hour goes by. You're wondering what I just did for an hour. Usually it starts by flipping through something on my phone and then really you look at the time and think, wow, where did, where did the time go? Aimless mode. A lot of days it's just do what I have to mode. Get up, do what I've got to do. Or maybe you're just sitting here thinking, I don't really have a lot of time to think about <laughs> what motivates me. So here's your opportunity. Take a deep breath. Really. Right now, God's giving you 20, 30 minutes to think about this under the tutelage of his word. Let's make use of this time. What drives us?
what motivates us. Around 600 BC, there was a young woman who went to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And she had such a powerful experience that as she came out of the temple complex, she took some of the funds she had been saving throughout her life, and she took them to a merchant nearby. And this merchant was selling a particular item. It was a small piece of silver, and on it was written some very special words. And these words, this little scroll was rolled up, put into a cylinder, put on a silver chain, and as she handed over her money, she received this object and put it around her neck. Fast forward to 1979. Some archaeologists are working outside of Jerusalem. They find a burial chamber that had just had a cave-in because often burial chambers are just raided and everything's gone. But this cave-in exposed some new sections and they found this little silver scroll. And on it were written what we have now is the oldest copy of scripture anywhere that's over 2,500 years old. The words were from Numbers, chapter six. And my question is, why would somebody wear these words on their body, their entire life, be buried with that on their body? And uh, what was so important about that? Well, maybe you're familiar with the words, maybe you're not, but in Numbers 6, 22, it says this. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is how you shall bless the people of Israel. This is how. You shall say to them, Yivelechecha Yahweh veyishmelecha, Ya'er Yahweh panav lecha vichunecha, Yisa Yahweh panav lecha, ve'esem lecha shalom. Which is to say, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. These were the words that were heard almost every worship service, every day that the temple stood in Jerusalem. And this young woman would have taken these words and, and had this text in mind, that I bear the name of Yahweh. And that little silver scroll was probably just a reminder to help her remember every day that my life in my life, I bear the name of my God with me. Israel was a people who bore the name of Yahweh. In other words, everywhere they went, everything they did was a reflection of their God. Actually, this is what we're warned about in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 7, you probably know it as, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. The verb right there is actually to lift up or to carry something. So when we were translating this a few months ago in Chichipu, we translated it this way. You shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. See the connection there between the priest's blessing? You shall put my name on them and Yahweh warning, don't bear my name in vain. My name is on you. Don't carry it about in an empty manner, like it's nothing. 
Now, this certainly includes what we commonly think of, don't use God's name as a curse word, right? It certainly includes that idea, but it's so much more. God's reputation is at stake in the conduct of his people. And Exodus 27 even ends this way. Yahweh will not hold guiltless the one who bears his name like it's nothing. Israel was a people that bore the name of Yahweh, their God. Now, before we get back to our question from Psalm 67, another one comes to my mind. How did Yahweh and Israel come into this special relationship? How did one group of people on the face of the earth get into this kind of relationship? Well, maybe you've heard the stories, maybe you haven't, but after the flood, humankind was only eight people but then began to multiply. And as they multiplied, they grew exceedingly wicked once again. And they were called to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with the image of God. But instead, they gathered in one location. They began to build a tower with its top in the heavens, is what the text says. And they wanted to make a name for themselves. They didn't want to be dispersed over the face of the earth. Genesis 11.4, if you want to look it up. In other words, they wanted to do exactly the opposite of what the cosmic king had ordered them to do. God says, multiply my image bearers on the earth. And they say, nah, we'd rather make a name for ourselves. God says, fill the earth with my image. And they say, eh, we would rather stay together. It'll make us look better. God says, okay, have it your way but I'm taking away your language. And in place, they get many languages, and we call the place Babel. And from there, all the nations spread out on the earth. And then this is the next text, Genesis chapter 12. So Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. You hear that? Spreading out, same command. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless all those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So hear the, how these two stories contrast with each other. The people en masse had refused to obey God. So God starts over with one family, with Abram. The people, they try to make a name for themselves is what it said. And God says, I'm gonna make Abram's name great. The people refuse to spread out over the earth, but Abram obeys God's call and goes to a land he's never been to, he's never seen before, and he goes out in faith. The people reject God's plan for them, but by Abram's obedience, he becomes a conduit of blessing so that they can be received back by God. In other words, what God's gonna do through Abram is to bring his blessing to all those rebellious peoples and bring them back to relationship with himself. And the descendants of Abram are Israel, the name bearers of Yahweh. Now, a little side note here from the side note from the side note. 
Maybe you've never noticed it before. Look back at Psalm 67 with me. That word there, peoples, is not a typo in your Bible. The word peoples is not, you think maybe, let the people praise you, oh God, that, that would make sense. But the word peoples is there actually quite specifically. God said to Abram, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's one Hebrew word to talk about groups of people. In this uh, book, we ha- in this uh, chapter, Psalm 67, we actually have three different Hebrew words being used to talk about the different groups of people. A people group. A people is so, it's like, it's like an ethnic linguistic group. They have things in common with each other, a common language, usually common customs and often their own form of governance, even if they're subservient to another government. So for example, the uh, Chichipu people in uh, Nigeria, they have their own king, even though they're subjects of the state of Nigeria. Actually, in Nigeria, there are hundreds hundreds of nations, peoples, tribes. As of 2017, it's recorded there are 525 native languages in that one country. That's a lot. (laughs) Actually, Nigeria and Papua New Guinea are the most linguistically diverse and dense countries on the face of the planet. So that's, that's not really normal, but most countries, especially through Africa and Asia, and South America, they, they have multiple languages that are spoken in every, what we would call, country. These are the various groups that this is talking about. These are the peoples scattered throughout the world that owe their creator allegiance, that owe him praise. So back to our question, do you pray this way? Let's review where we've been. Israel was a people that began with Abram after the flood. And as a people group, They were called to inhabit a new land. And from that place, they would become a blessing to all the people groups of the earth. Now, after God delivered them from slavery down in Egypt, he calls them to be his own people. And in doing so now, they bear his name. And that's why the priests would symbolically put the name of Yahweh on these people, because they were to be his blessing to all the other rebellious nations. So do you pray this way? Looking at Psalm 67. It might seem a little bit self-centered when it starts, doesn't it? God, be gracious to us, bless us. Even though really, I don't know about you, I pray this way a lot. (laughs) How many of my prayers are about something I need, some kind of blessing I would desire God's favor desired in my life. Seems a little selfish when it starts. God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us. But then comes verse two. I love that the the Selah goes in there. That's like a little pause or a musical interlude or something because you see this is a song. So there'd be a little, little pause, a little interlude there. And then you get the point here. Bless us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving powers among all nations. Here's the motivation, right? May my crops grow, Lord, so that I can give generously to the temple work of spreading your name and help the poor. God, protect my children. May they grow in good health so that they can serve others in your name. Lord, give us leaders who have wisdom so that they can guide us in truth and that others would see your goodness. 
the way you created this world. I don't know that we always have to say those things, but we want those things to be what underlies those prayers in our heart. Now, this psalm is actually interesting. It's what we call a chiasm, right? Or you could think of it like a sideways letter V. And as you go forward, you get to a main point, and then you start to work backwards. And if you were to slice it up vertically, every section has a parallel partner. The parallel partner to one and two is six and seven. If you notice the word bless and the earth, look at verses six and seven. The earth has yielded its increase. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Just as surely as they expected God to bless them as his name bearers, they expected that the nations would see that and come to fear Yahweh. So as we keep looking at the rest of this psalm, let this thought linger in your minds. God wants my life to be concerned about things that are bigger than just me and bigger than just what I do every day. Everything in my life is to be about bearing his name, living out his way, so that the scattered peoples of the earth would know his power. Do we pray this way? Secondly, do we sing this way? Or we could say it another way, what's the root of your joy? What's the root of your joy? The last time I was in Nigeria, we were in the second week of consulting and we were going through texts and we received a phone call that interrupted our checking session. And it, it was a rather distressing phone call and we all just sat there in silence while the one man on the phone was listening and, and was clearly in shock at what was going on. Apparently not too far away from where we were, some terrorists had attacked a Christian school and praise God there were no students there that day. But they shot the head administrator who thankfully recovered later. But they took four of the teachers, all of whom were Christian workers, Christian missionaries there. They took them and they were holding them ransom. And we're just getting this phone call. And many of these translators that I was working with there knew these people that had been kidnapped. They, they knew them even though they weren't from the same tribe. As you can imagine, that was quite disruptive uh, to, to the day. And we didn't do much for an hour. We took a little bit of a tea break and we came back and we just asked the, the team if there was anything that we could do, anything we could do to help besides praying. And they said they wanted to sing. They said they wanted to sing. This was the first song that we sang. This is just the chorus. Asana Yesu, Asana Kungwa, in Lapatana Dege Gedu, which means good morning, Jesus, good morning, God. I know you came from heaven, and now your spirit leads us. Asana Yesu, Asana Kungwa, Amuzugwa, Ichukwa, Kungwa Sewene Ulenji. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, God. I will praise my God every day. You should have heard these brothers singing at the top of their lungs. They were not that great of singers. But at that moment, it didn't matter. They were expressing something to God. I am gonna praise you, God, on this day, just like the day before, which was a much nicer day. We just examined the edges of our psalm here. But now we need to look at the center, 
because it gets at this issue. It gets at what was going on in the hearts of these guys. And thank the Lord, those four kidnapped people were returned uh, many weeks later. But let's look at verse four. The psalmist calls the nations to be happy. Look, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Why should all the nations on the earth sing for joy? Because you judge the earth with straightness and you lead the nations upon the earth. Why could these guys rejoice and sing so powerfully right after they had heard that some of their friends had just been kidnapped and they didn't know if they'd be returned dead or alive? Why can they rejoice even now, though many of them have been driven out of their homes by other terrorists, and now they're, they're living basically uh, mobile lives on the run with their wives and children? What's the root of their joy? What should be the root of our joy? It's right here in verse four. Yahweh will set all things right. That's the root. The term here for judge, shafat in Hebrew, is, is, is often translated judge in our Bibles, and it gets at the, gets at the idea, but I really like the, one, the way one commentator expressed it here. He says that this term means to set things in right that are out of order. To set things right that are out of order. That's what a good judge should do. There's something out of order, and a good judge is gonna make things, gonna set things right again. Can't always fix it, but it's gonna set things right. At least human judges can't always fix it. And this action of judging is what God is gonna do. He's gonna set all things right. There's the other term there, uh, and the ESV has it as equity. Equity. Uh, I, I translate it here as to judge with straightness. It can certainly mean fairness and justice and those sorts of things, but I, I like this idea of to judge with straightness because that's literally what the, the Hebrew term is talking about there. Because it's this idea of something's crooked, something's bent, something's not right, and what the judge is gonna do is set it straight again. God will set straight the things that are out of order. So for you and me, whether it's we're battling just a persistent bad attitude throughout the day in our hearts, God can set that straight. Maybe it's just somebody else <laughs> and their bad attitude that's plaguing you, their words, their actions. God can set that right. He can help you continue straight and doesn't, you don't have to be pushed off course by them that day. Or it could be some kind of life-altering situation terrorist attack, diagnosis, whatever it might be. God, Yahweh, the maker of the universe, sets things right. And even if it doesn't happen in this life, his justice extends beyond this life. How do we know these things about God, though? How do we know these things about Yahweh? We just sang about it in some of the songs, God's promises, his word. How do we know that things are out of order? Why wouldn't we just assume that, well, this is, this is normal. This is the way things are, as painful as it can be sometimes. How do we know what the right way is? Let's look at the verse again. Look at verse four. Let's ask the basic Bible study question. Think about it with me. 
What does verse four tell us about God? What does verse four tell us about God? He's a God who sets things right. He's judging with equity. He's a God who leads the people in the right way. He guides the nations of the earth. He's a God who is supremely happy and he wants his creatures to be happy in him. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy because God reigns. God reigns. His way is right. He will set things right. And he wants you and I and all the nations to be happy in that. And yet, so often we're not. We're happy in other things. We pursue other things. We run after other things. What is the root of your joy? Well, we're looking at it here in the Bible. You've probably learned about these things because a preacher told them to you from the Bible. Or maybe these stories that relate the great saving acts of God like we hear talked about in verse two there. They were told to you by a Sunday school teacher who got them from the Bible. God gave us a book. We need to count this as one of the chief blessings in our life. God speaking through the ages in a book has now come to you in a language that didn't exist at the time these words were written. English is not as old as the truths that were written down by David and Moses and all the others. Psalm 19 says that God's rules are more to be desired than fine gold, even much fine gold. More than cryptocurrency, more than retail property, more than some amazing racehorse, more than anything you can invest in in this world, this is to be desired, the most valuable of possessions. Maybe you can think about it this way. When we get our lives into a mess, how much would you pay at that moment to get out of the mess? To maybe have a magic wand and just be able to whoop, undo it. How much would you pay? Or better yet, how much would you pay so that you didn't even get into that situation in the first place, so that you learned ways of life so that you didn't get into that mess? How much would you pay? Or when you're deeply hurt or depressed, how much would you pay to be lifted out of that darkness? People pay lots of money to be lifted out. Or better yet, what if you could learn a way so that you never got into that situation of hurt and pain again? I think that's what the psalmist is getting at with, it's more to be desired than fine gold. People would pay lots of money to avoid the messes and the pain of this life. And God's way, the right way, the straight way, can help us to avoid those things. But we only know it in his word, as his spirit helps us understand it. This is a gift. And yet there's still over 2,000 languages on the face of the earth that don't have a single word available to them. Maybe they can learn it from another language. 
Maybe someone could explain it to them, but it's not the same, especially if you're here and you know more than one language. You know that it's not the same to read in another language as it is to read in the language of your heart. Our family currently has the privilege of working with two languages right now in northern Nigeria, helping them get portions of God's word. In one, we're just finishing off the passages in Exodus. It's a great story of God's deliverance. Think about the Ten Commandments, God's revelation of himself as the great I am, the self-existent one. We're helping them get those truths, to hear those stories. And in another language, we're working with the book of Galatians. And as we're working through that, they're getting to learn the message of how rebels like us can become right with God. Faith, and not through works of our own. You know what? As members of this church, you too are involved in helping them get that. It's through our partnership together that you're helping make this happen. You're helping the Zul. You're helping the Chichipu peoples to get God's word and to rejoice in the God of the Bible. But today, Psalm 67 is speaking to you. Where is your joy rooted? Is it rooted in the perfect reign of God or in some other shifting quicksand that will surely let you down? God will judge with straightness. May we rejoice in this truth. So do you pray this way? Do you sing this way? And I think the last question I wanna ask today is, are you all in? Are you all in? What's holding you back? Look one more time with, with me at Psalm 67. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's a lot of alls. That's a lot of everything. That's a lot of earth. I'm just one little person. But maybe you're thinking like I do sometimes. I'm just not really there. To be honest, I'm not really motivated to see other peoples of the earth enjoy the blessing of God. I'm not even really finding joy in God myself sometimes. And you know what? Believe it or not, missionaries like me, we struggle with that too. It is a fight for joy, friends. It's a fight for joy. It doesn't, I don't wake up every morning like a sunbeam and I'm ready to go out and save the world for Jesus today. Most days I have to fight for it. I have to fight to see this God. I'm waking up thinking about all their things. I'm in that get it done mode. I'm in that survival mode. I'm not in the mode of I'm motivated. I'm rooted in these things. How do we get there? when we don't feel like we are. I have three R's for you. You can think over them throughout your Sunday evening. Number one, request. Request. 
Ask God to restore your joy, Psalm 51, 12. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I love those songs we were singing about God's promises. He will do what he says. David was confident when he prayed that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You want me to be joyful in you, God. Please restore to me now. I know it might take a while. I know there's things to fight through. It's not just gonna come automatically, but restore it to me. Ask God to restore your joy. Number two, repent. Maybe there's something in the way. I wanna get there, but there's something blocking me getting my joy in God. Confess sinful actions, attitudes that might be killing your joy. And if you don't know what they are, ask God to show them. Psalm 32, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. Many are the sorrows of the but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh. Catch this. Be glad in Yahweh. Be glad. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. How can that psalm end that way? Because first he acknowledged. He acknowledged his sin. So maybe that's it. Request, repent, and then, friends, reach. Reach, get beyond your own head, your own routine, your own little life. I don't say that because your life is inconsequential or unimportant to God, but we are little lives. We need to get beyond ourselves at times. There's a child, there's a friend, there's a relation, there's another nation that needs you to serve them. That's why God put us here. We don't just pray, God bless me. We pray, God bless me so that your way is known on earth. God, you know what I need today. You know all these things. Would you give them to me so that your kingdom advances in the little sphere of influence I have and other things that I may be able to influence? I usually like to end sermons with a story, but forgive me today if I end with Jesus. Is that okay? When I was studying this text, a quote came across to me that had me fist pumping in Panera and then looking around to see who, who noticed. Maybe you have to get a doctorate to fist pump when you read books or something. I don't know, but here's what I read. It's short. Listen, enjoy. If Israel has the light of God's face, the world cannot remain in darkness. If Israel has the light of God's face, so think about that prayer, right? Let your, let you, let your face shine upon me. That's, that's the ironic prayer right there, the blessing. Let your face shine upon me. If Israel has the light of God's face shining on them, the world can't remain in darkness. Now, maybe that doesn't sound profound to you. I am an Old Testament scholar, and I know the whole story, right? Most of you do too. It doesn't turn out too well when you read the first three quarters of the Bible, does it? There's a lot of sadness, failure, and brokenness. Israel fails in its mission. They don't become the light to the nations. 
They don't follow God's way. They don't seek his face continually. They don't serve as a conduit of blessing to the nations. And it seems by the end of the story that their light has gone out. But there's the prophecies, aren't there? You know them from Christmas time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. God, you have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. Now they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Why? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government, or you could say the judgment, shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. Straight government. And of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, he will sit to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. And in case you thought it wasn't going to happen, it ends and says, the zeal of Yahweh of armies will make sure it happens. Later on in the book, it says, Yahweh says to his servant, it's too small of a thing that you should be my servant just to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the remnant of Israel. I'm gonna make you a light to the nations so that my salvation reaches the ends of the earth. The son, the servant, where Israel fails, Jesus prevails. He is the light shining in the darkness. He's the joy that's promised to the nations. He's the king whose kingdom will perfectly and perpetually reign. And through him, God's salvation reaches the ends of the earth. We're the people that bear his name. We're the people that bear his name, Christians. So let the nations be glad and sing for joy because Jesus reigns. And through us, his blessing spreads to them. Be it through the translation of the Bible, be it through a good deed that you've done in his name, do it through a gift that you've given or some act of service that you've rendered so that someone would see Jesus. May his blessings flow through you. Do you pray like this? Do you sing like this? Are you all in? Maybe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your light shines in our hearts. Thank you that you have delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to your great kingdom of light. We long for the day when it comes, when your will is done perfectly. The pain, the sorrow, the struggles are ended. But until that time, God, bless us. Make your face shine on us because we need it. And that through us, the nations 
who have yet to hear would receive blessing upon blessing in Jesus' name. I pray for each person in this room. The gifts and the callings you've given them, the relationships and opportunities you've given them. God, restore our joy. Restore our motivation. Strengthen us for this work because we are the people that bear your name. I ask that you send us out in your power that we would do your work. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. And thanks for preaching. We're going to have our time of response now and sing a final song. If you're here today and you have heard the call to go all in and put your faith in Christ to make a commitment to Jesus, you come let us know. We'd love to help you with that. If you're already there and you feel yourself being all in, but you've not been baptized and you know you need to be baptized, you can let us know that. We will help you. If you're looking to be a part of our church family, uh, we would love to help you with that too. Um, perhaps you're uh, already all in on all of those things. Even as we sing this closing song, uh, let's ask God to set our hearts on the whole world knowing him. Let's sing. Let's go.